All right. So some of you responding quite positively, at least to uh, the impact of the sugar tax, at least being aware, the level of awareness that it has brought to you and how you've had to change your lifestyle. Look, the reality is that it's not easy. And, you know, sugar can very much be an addiction as well. But one that uh, we don't look at or see in the way that we uh, analyze other addictions that people suffer from. And you often realize this when you try to cut off sugar. Suddenly you're just like, oh my gosh, why am I having these withdrawal symptoms? Suddenly it feels like you can't live without sugar. Uh, So it's a really important conversation to uh, be having. And uh, like I said, the next time we'll certainly have the industry on to also uh, hear about the argument that they are making that, you know, have the benefits of the sugar tax actually outweighed the cost in terms of real lives that have been affected by the job losses and the sector uh, that has been gravely affected by it. All right, let's switch gears now and and turn our attention to this. The Secretary General of the United Nations, Antonio Guterres, has expressed outrage at the killing of a number of civilians in Burkina Faso over the weekend. Officials say more than 160 people have died after an attack by the so-called jihadists on the village of Solhan near the borders with Mali and Niger was the worst in recent years. In Nigeria, 88 people are said to have been killed in the Kebi state where the attackers swept through eight villages, sending residents fleeing. We also have got an increasing number of incidents. Uh, you'd recall we've had the violence in Mozambique, the insurgents there. And, and you know, that violence is also quite complicated in terms of where it is originating from. But are we looking at a situation where the increasing violence on the continent is leading to um, Africa being fertile ground for terrorism? Dr. David Zumano joins me now on the line. He's a senior research consultant at the Institute for Security Studies. Uh, Dr. Zumano, good morning to you and thanks for your time today. Good morning, Kathy, and good morning to the listeners. You know, I think firstly, just perhaps more broadly, when we look at the state of violence on on this continent, are we making progress um, in reducing the levels of violence, reducing the kind of killings and the number of killings that are faced year on year? Look, uh, if we look at it from uh, 1990s, I think we can divide it into three periods. At the beginning of 1990s, we witnessed, you know, the orgy of violence. You remember Sierra Leone, you remember Liberia, and then it moved to Cote d'Ivoire, and go to Guinea, Guinea-Bissau, uh, Sudan, Sierra Leone, Somalia. In some of those countries, civilians bear the brunt of, of the violence. Then there have been some moments where the African Union, original economic communities like ECOWAS in West Africa, deploy some efforts, organize some peacekeeping uh, missions to try to curb those violence. We still have on the continent the largest peacekeeping, the United Nations peacekeeping missions in the TRC, for example, to try to protect civilians. But the, the reality that we are dealing with today is completely different, and you mentioned it in your intro, uh, from what we are used to on the continent. We used to talk about uh, armed groups, like rebel group, with a political agenda or with some social agenda. Today, 
the nature of violence is very complex. I think we are dealing with the mixture of uh, armed group, some with kind of social political agenda, others with extremist vision for, for the country. And on that front, I think we still have to do more to save our people from the massacre. Is this surprising given the fact that the advent of democracy on the continent as more, in, as more and more countries open themselves up to embracing uh, democracy, that in itself was supposed to lead to a more peaceful and more stable continent? Definitely, that's what the idea about the way we complete the democratization project in Africa is left much to desire. I think we have become specialists in political manipulations, rigged elections, and fraudulent uh, appointment of, of leaders, corruptions, which left or leave many citizens on the margin of poverty, vulnerable to extremist ideology or violent entrepreneurs which continue to woo them into, in, into violence. You take the case of West Africa today, uh, the, the decline of a democratic process in Mali plunges that country into uh, violence since 2012. Uh, we've seen Mali as a direct consequences of Libya, where failed political transitions unleash uh, the negative forces from that country to invade West Africa, the Sahel, to the extent that the region is facing with a variety of extremist groups from Nigeria to, to, mm. to, Burkina, to Burkina Faso. And on their way, they make no distinction between government forces and the civilians, including women and, and children. So the failure on the field of democracy contributes greatly uh, uh, to the structural causes of the violence that you are witnessing in anything. And if there is anything that we need to do is to improve the governance, putting people at mm. the center of a political decision-making. And then we can look at the economic impact. We can look at the local mediation process, we can look at the land issues. Some of those local uh, uh, conflicts for which we do not have systematic approach to help a citizen to deal with them. We're going to con- continue our conversation with Dr. David Zumano, who is a senior research consultant at the Institute of Security Studies. So democracy then has not yielded the kind of results, but that's because it has also not been implemented in a fair and just way um, on diff- in different countries on the continent. And all of that leading then to uh, the conditions of, of violence in many countries. But there's a difference between violence and terrorism. So what are the kind of grounds that make uh, a place uh, fertile for terrorism? That's the issue we'll be exploring uh, with Dr. Zumano after this. SAFM. Primetime all day long. We continue the conversation on the talking point with Dr. David Zumano. Dr. Zumano, I I was just saying before we went to the break that there is a a difference between violence and and terrorism. So firstly, distinguish that difference for us. And also then we'll get into what are the conditions that that are making the continent fertile ground for these uh, extremist, extremist groups that we're seeing emerge. 
Yes, if we try to make a difference uh, in terms of violence and extremism, we can look at political violence, mm. which I alluded uh, in initially. Political violence, I think, opposes contentious parties or opposes parties on contentious issues like rights, gender equality, uh, or freedom of expression, freedom of speech. Some of those issues that pit sometimes the state or the government against the civil society activists who want more issues or who do not have access to the institutions. Uh, that are set up to deal with uh, those those issues. So they ask for more rights. And sometimes that contention can lead to, 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 to violence. Uh, but what we're talking about in terms of violent extremism is a completely different nature and, 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 and shape. Uh, if you remember, before September 11, Mm. Uh, in 2001, we were not talking about violent extremism on the continent per, per se. I think uh, Al-Qaeda had become very popular um, in terms of global terrorism. They launched attack on the New York Tower and, and caused the kind of global responses to, 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 to terror attack. Uh, we also have a country on the continent, Algeria, for example, in the 1990s, facing domestic terrorism with uh, the Islamic Front uh, uh, of this, the, the, the jihadists uh, in, in that country. But Algeria was very successful in pushing them out of its territory, mm. forcing them to seek refuge in uh, northern Mali, in Tamaraset, for, for, for example. But uh, those groups were not involved in violence against civilians. In fact, they established some kind of collaboration with the local populations and remained involved in trafficking of drugs, uh, arms, cigarettes, all kind of things that they can do to make, a, to make a living. But the change introduced by September 11 uh, opened the door for proliferation of groups that now put religion at the center of the activities mm-hmm. and want to impose that on, on people using violence to that for that effect. But uh, 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 one thing that really helped them, or a series of, of vulnerabilities that helped them, uh, the absence or, or is the absence of the state in the life of people, particularly living in the peripheries, in rural areas, in areas far away from the capital city, where mm-hmm. you can still have access to education, you can still have access to adequate health care, you can still uh, farm and be able to sell your, your, your product. The state have completely abandoned those citizens to those groups who find it very easy to recruit them. The emergence of Boko Haram in Nigeria mm-hmm. stems from the absence of the role of the central government in the life of people in, in Medjugorje and the radicalization of the speech by Boko Haram uh, 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 leader uh, Muhammad Yusuf actually draw from the dissatisfaction of the people from the way the Nigerian government actually responds to the need of citizens. And then we have now the spread of those groups since 2012 in Mali, in Burkina Faso, uh, in Niger. Uh, uh, the groups mm-hmm. themselves continue to wreak havoc, dividing themselves around what we are seeing in the Middle East. You have on the one hand the Al-Qaeda affiliated group, like Al Shabab, uh, Boko Haram, uh, and the, the the group for the support of the Muslims in in West Africa, and on the other hand, you have a new group called itself Islamic State of the of the Levant in Iraq, whose affiliate we are finding now in Mozambique, 
sometimes linked to the Allied Democratic Force in the DRC, and also the Islamic State of the West Africa province, ISWAP, who are now fighting among each other, and the repercussion of it can be felt on the civilians. Mm. So, if I'm hearing you correctly, oftentimes how, you know, the, the extremist insurgents recruit locals is by taking advantage of their vulnerability and exploiting that that vulnerability definitely state vulnerability of the absence of state create those vulnerabilities mm. and radical and extremist group manipulated them they sometimes take side in a local dispute on land they often take side in a dispute between hunters and farmers or headers and farmers and they often take take side mm-hmm. also against government officials who are in corruption deep in corruption and who do not perform the duties for which they receive the salary from the government and they instrumentalize those grievances and use them as a channel to recruit the young people particularly mm-hmm. into their groups and to make violence as a way to spread those dis- that discontent against the state and against villages. So, you, you know, one can understand <coughs> being disgruntled and, and wanting to join groups that uh, perhaps will fight for a different future. But at which point does that disgruntlement move to wanting to take the lives of others so as to advance a course for what can be a, a better society or even a better community? I think they believe that the official way the soft approach to force government has not been successful. It's not working. Sometimes you cannot even have access to government officials who all have comfortable life in the capital cities, mm. and they don't even care about their, their countrymen living in some uh, remote areas, particularly those who are living in border areas. They hardly see uh, uh, officials. I think they only see them when there is electoral process ongoing, where they come with some bags of rice or some T-shirts to woo them and win their votes. From that day, they don't see them anymore. So many people use that argument that we are neglected. We need to take law into our hands. Mm. The second factor is also the availability of weapons. You know, Africa is awash with uh, with uh, light weapons and, uh, and and ammunition, small arm light weapon and and ammunitions, and you can have access to it very easily. And with that. People believe that you, you, you have power and you have a way of forcing the government to do what you want them to, to do. Unfortunately, it doesn't really work that way. We have the experience of the movement of emancipation of Niger Delta, who launched attacks on governments for many years to force the government to pay attention to the environmental degradation mm-hmm. in the Niger Delta in, in, in Nigeria. And that's the experience that many groups are now using today to take that violence, except that today we have this element of, of, of religion. Many people believe that there is a religion that is pure, that is not being practiced, and manipulate the, 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 the people of their followers into that. And sometimes it's pit, for example, the, 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 the Muslims and the Christians in some, in some areas, while Muslim and Christianity or Islam and Christianity mm-hmm. have absolutely nothing to do with, uh, with, with violence. It is simply opportunistic forces who want to use it to mobilize mm-hmm. uh, a manpower 
to be able to continue with their uh, entrepreneurial uh, activity, violent activities for their own purpose. Of course, one of the challenges <clears throat> is the fact that when these groups emerge, there doesn't seem to be very strong action taken uh, against them. And you, you find a situation now where governments become overwhelmed by some of the violence that is being perpetu- uh, that is being carried out uh, by, these, by these groups. Yes, definitely. I think that really talks to the, uh, 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 the context in which we find ourselves. You know, we have security forces or armed forces in many of our African countries who are trained only to repress activists or to arrest students or to discourage opposition leaders from competing freely in an in, in electoral process, but hardly trained to secure the borders and to protect the citizens. And that weakness they transpire when you see a small group of 100 or 50 armed uh, individuals taking the war to, 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 to them, mm. making it extremely difficult to, 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 to respond. And also, you have this natural reaction of the government mm. that to deal with extremist government, you just have to deploy a couple of uh, military officers mm. to deal with to deal with them without taking into consideration the root causes or the structural causes which create the problem in in in, in the in the first place. Mm. So there is a need to think about a comprehensive multifaceted approach to eradicate violence of our society, particularly as we fight against violent extremism. We spare no country and no citizen on this planet. Let's talk about the role of the regional bodies and um, their contribution to the formation of these extremist groups. Are we having enough of a coordinated response? Because oftentimes, you, you mentioned ECOWAS earlier, We've seen ECOWAS, of course, be able to uh, rally together where there has been very extreme violence amongst the different countries within that regional bloc. But it takes almost the worst case scenario uh, to get action. And it's more often responsive and reactive than it is proactive. Definitely. I think uh, that's maybe a field where we need to work hard. How do we invest more in prevention or preventive action rather than reaction. Of course, the African Union has um, a protocol on terrorism signed, I think, since 1999. But how to operationalize that protocol in terms of creating the early warning mechanism, in terms of creating institutions that deal directly with those issues, have not been uh, effective so far. We talk about ECOWAS. Yes, ECOWAS used to be a very powerful uh, regional responses to instability. I think ECOWAS worked in Liberia, bring down the violence, and help Liberia to move to, to peace. Same happened in, in Sierra Leone. But the, level, the nature of violence that we are dealing with is not really what the peace and security architecture, whether at the continental level or at the regional level, was set for. The same applied to, 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 to SADC. I think we have peace and security architecture in place, but we are faced with unconventional uh, with uh, the extremist violence, which is very specific and which need 
tailor-made responses from regional bodies, from continental bodies, uh, uh, to be able to be dealt with. If I take one aspect of the response strategy, uh, the coordination of intelligence gathering, for for example, uh, it is still really faulty. It's still very much weak because countries do not talk to each other. Countries do not really work to, together. The West African community have tried to put in place the joint military task force, but it's taken them over two years for that task force to be operationalized. And if you look at the countries that are contributing, Chad was one of the main contributors, sending its troops in, paid for the, 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 the initiative, and bear the, 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 the brunt of, of, of it. So many countries are not in. But you have in Nigeria, which has by far one of the most powerful army, I would say, in inverted comma, in West Africa, that can also play that, that role. So the weaknesses that we are witnessing at the country level, national level, appear also at the regional level and affect the response that we develop against violent extremism, whether we are in Mozambique, mm. in the DRC, or in the Sahel. All right. Well, it certainly is a, a concerning state of affairs. Let me just take some of the views of our listeners that are tuned into the show right now. Good morning, SAFM and uh, Kathy. Good morning. Good morning, guys. Um, you know, I, it's a scary, it's a scary reality. Uh, I'm listening your your guest as you, as as he speaks. Uh, it's very very scary. I mean, if you can check, almost every country in Africa, they have these these, these uh, uh, um, terrorist groups that 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 make that put our lives, more especially uh, the ordinary people, in danger. So. There's only one thing I want to know from from your guest, Kathy, is that um, don't you think maybe the the former colonial countries they have some uh, um, uh, uh, they have their hands in this terrorism? Because if you can check all the African countries, politically we are not so stable. Hi, Kathy. Well, there's a recent conflict, a recent conflict between uh, Israel and Palestine. Everybody in South Africa was up in arms, but uh, when it comes to the conflict in Africa and these Muslim uh, ex- extremists, our brothers in Islam here in South Africa, you don't wear, hear a word from them. Remember that time in uh, that attack on the Kenya Mall, when a person was not able to quote from the Quran, he was shot and killed on the spot. You didn't hear anything from our, our uh, fellow brothers here in South Africa. But uh, the minute that the things flare up between Israel and Palestine, then they call upon the whole world to stand up against that. Hi, Kathy. You know, currently now on Earth, there's no one who's doing jihad. All those people that are saying they're doing jihad, they're really not doing jihad because jihad doesn't allow people to kill women and the children, and it doesn't allow anyone to kill anyone from the back. So there's, in the Holy Quran, there are scriptures that are speaking about jihad. Currently, there's nobody who's doing jihad on Earth. All those people who are killing others in the name of jihad, they're just confusing the world. There's no jihad on Earth now, please. Thank you, Zed Quran. All right, Dr. David Zumano, your response? Thank you. I think there are three issues here. Mm. The first one is uh, regarding the the former colonial powers' uh, role in promoting violent extremism on the continent. 
I think it's difficult to to say that. Um, we know during the time of uh, armed rebellions, you have uh, colonial powers behind them because they want to have access to natural resources. Um, certainly remember the 1998 war in Congo Brazzaville uh, between Sasungeso and Pascal Isuba, and that's related to the petrol of uh, Congo Brazzaville. We certainly also remember the conflict between the Niger, the National Movement for Justice in Niger, in Niger, uh, uh, with the government also related to the exploitation of uranium. And in those instances, you have colonial powers behind the scene trying to, 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 to manipulate. There is also a school of thought that is trying to develop a kind of conspiracy theory around the, the extremists in, um, in, in, in West Africa, saying that those groups occupy areas where you have gold deposits or other natural resources and uh, or maybe gas, and they want to have access to to it. Why would any external powers entertain violent extremism to have access to natural resources where they can just corrupt the government and sign contracts on which their citizens have very few or no, info, no information mm. at all. So mm. they have the way they have the way of go circumventing any 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 block in that sense. And I, I found it extremely difficult to uh, to say that they have uh, in fact terrorism affects everyone. French citizens are kidnapped in the Sahel almost on a daily basis. Some are killed, some are released after ransom is, is paid. Uh, a South African citizen can be kidnapped and held for, for, for ransom. Uh, anyone can be held anywhere. A plane can be hijacked. Mm. So it is, it is not something that somebody can really uh, sponsor. And you remember for many years, Sudan and Libya have been put on the U.S. blacklist mm. of countries that are sponsoring a violent ex 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 extremism. So it is something that the Western powers have fought uh, considerably successfully to try to limit the impact on their territory. What we are seeing is simply the shift from global terrorism to more localized violent extremism, and Africa has become the fertile ground for it because of the vulnerabilities that I highlighted initially. Uh, the second speaker talked about uh, the, the manipulation of the jihadists. Mm -hmm. I agree. Jihadists is a pressure that you put on yourself to refrain from Doctor, doing bad. Doctor, yes. Dr. Zumano, let me do this. Yes. I see you're still going to uh, take a couple more minutes. Let me go to the uh, latest 11 o'clock news headlines and then we'll wrap up with uh, Dr. Zumano after this. The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. All right, welcome to the third and final hour of the Talking Point. It's 7 after 11 o'clock. Uh, before we get into our conversation on uh, South Africa's contribution in terms of the youth submission on the African peer review mechanism, we're going to wrap up with Dr. David Zumano. We, he's a senior research consultant at the Institute of Security Studies, and we've been looking at some of the conditions that are leading to Africa being fertile ground for terrorism and extremist groups on the continent. So, Dr. Zumano, I'm going to give you two minutes for you to wrap up, please, for me. Look, I think uh, I was to need to, to take this issue seriously. Yeah. Every day we lost hundreds of women, children, whole villages, uh, you know, 
particularly young girls, being kidnapped mm. to serve as wives for for those shadowy and the dark for dark age uh, forces. Mm. We need to beef up the response strategy, combining intelligence gathering, development interventions, particularly in the border areas, but also education of our citizens about the implication of religious belief. No religion or no ideology can uh, can prosper with uh, violence and we don't need this kind of of, of situation on this continent mm. with all the problems that we already have so states need to put their heads together to be to develop as we've seen in europe in the u.s and elsewhere a comprehensive and effective response strategy against that where they are capable of doing it because in our communities we know each other. There are links that can be used or put at the disposal of a state safety if people have trust in their state and their governing elite. So I think mm-hmm. that's what I will, I, I will say. Uh, and I suppose it just requires greater empathy in terms of the devastation that is caused to, to those communities. But it almost goes back to that um, issue of, you know, black lives not mattering. When does it when does it matter that you have villages that, that are wiped out and nobody says a single thing about it? No, definitely. That's what I'm saying. You know, mm. pain is pain, whether you are black or white, you are mm. African or elsewhere. And the discharge of violent extremism must spare no one. I think we've seen how European countries sometimes uh, 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 fork out a lot, a lot of money to save their, their citizens. And I always ask you questions. Will, do we have any country in Africa today which will try to pay a huge amount of ransom to save their citizens? There is a need to redefine the link mm-hmm. between what we call the state and the citizen. And citizens need to feel safe that they have state protecting them. Women need to feel safe that they can grow up, they can go to school, they can do whatever they want to do without being forced to be somebody's wife, without being forced to join in a particular armed arm group. And the gender dimension of it is particularly important here on the content that would try to create a space for women to really develop their potentials and make significant contribution to the development of, 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 of our continent. So peace and stability needs a refocus on citizens mm. as beneficiary of government interventions, partners' intervention, and mobilization of resources to achieve that. Let me thank you so much for your time tonight. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Dr. Zumano, he's a senior research consultant at the Institute for Security Studies, and he's raising such important points around you know, s- safety and security on the continent. Ultimately, it is women and young girls that bear the biggest brunt of this violence, you know, and I love how he phrased it. He says they are taken to serve the interests of dark forces and the things that they are subjected to, the kind of lives that they have to lead. Uh, some of those details we might never know, but from what we have been told so far, what we have on record so far, it is the kind of life that no one should be subjected to, that no one should be able to live. So uh, certainly hope that the issue of violence on this continent is taken a lot more seriously than, than what it seems to be and that we don't just brush over it as, oh, well, there's another killing. You know, there's another massacre and, and, and we move on as if 
the people who have been killed, the communities who are affected have have, have not suffered greatly, you know. And, and I guess we have to keep pushing to hold governments accountable to the best of, of our ability. All right, let's take a quick break and I'm back with more after this.